Last year wasn't all about politics and pandemic pandemonium. From little space babies eating tadpoles, to that Jesus streaming TV show, to not-quite-forgotten issues that still trend from time to time, we are exploring the top seven most discussed issues at lorehaven.com, today on Fantastical Truth. Welcome again to Fantastical Truth, episode two of our 2021 season, and I am E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of lorehaven.com, where we find the best Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, and apply the wonders and delights of these excellent stories to the real world that Jesus Christ calls us to serve. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I am a recovering Twitter-holic. So this is a perfect episode if you are also trying to recover from the uh, glut of social media lately or in this last year, because today, this is episode 48, we're going to talk about what were the top seven issues for Lorehaven readers in 2020. We're going to talk about a lot more interesting things than you normally see in the headlines. So Stephen, here we go. Absolutely. We're going to try to get through these pretty quickly because we have seven of them. And what we ended up doing was because these issues included uh, some of our uh, top favorite articles at the lorehaven.com network, uh, which also includes the original Speculative Faith blog established 2006. We had some great pieces here that got a lot of discussion, a lot of feedback. So we actually reached out to the authors of these articles, uh, three of them, uh, which uh, made the top seven here. And uh, two of them were able to provide some written follow-ups. And then we actually have a voice clip uh, from one of them as well, from a Parker J. Cole. So our seventh top issue for lorehaven.com readers this year, which also includes the podcast and all of the articles and magazines and the blog entries. Number seven here is actually episode two of this very podcast, A Fantastical Truth, which uh, now is at its one-year anniversary. We started recording in January of 2020, and the episode two made uh, the seventh of these seven top issues Episode two was, what do we mean by saying it's a Christian story? Zach, I think we have a clip from that episode. A lot of people define a Christian movie as it has to include X, Y, or Z. But another definition is it must not include A, B, or C. So C for cuss words. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, violence or gratuitous content, and whether that's you know, visual or it's written. So I think that's what people often mean. Like either it's on the positive side, it's going to include some content from Christianity, right. or it's going to exclude content that Christians find objectionable. Right. Now that makes sense. And th- that brings us to the fact that some of these issues can become very personal, especially when we're talking about what the label means you must include or what you must not include. We're going to tap into you know, some, some images, some ideas that Christians have and, and, and that we feel very personal about because stories are powerful. They're not some trivial thing that we can dismiss as it's just a story. No. Well, it's so funny, Stephen, hearing ourselves from a year ago in January 2020 and having no idea what the rest of the year would be like. But of course, that is such a evergreen topic that we're always talking about like wh- what is this thing called a Christian book or movie or TV show? Like, what does that even mean? How how can a story be Christian? And so I imagine that's going to be an you know an ongoing discussion in little pieces and big pieces 
It certainly will be. Yeah, we're, we're going to circle back to that in different ways, come at that same question from other angles in future episodes, as well as articles and uh, news items uh, frequently posted at lorehaven.com. I must say, Zach, that, uh, I mean, the pandemic didn't change my mind on this at all. I still think it is appropriate to apply the label Christian to a thing so long as, and this is kind of my single condition for that application, so long as the creator or main creator, director, whatever of the thing is a Christian. I think that the Christian individual can impute the Christianity, the gospel, to the thing so that the thing is, by that person's design, intended to glorify God. At the same time, ever since this episode, I have kept this little buzzer in my head for the, the Christian label, uh, even as we're using it at lorehaven.com. Uh, at the homepage there, has just been upgraded for the new year. Uh, we have those labels for the Lorehaven Library and the Lorehaven Reviews section. It says, find fantastical Christian books or find fantastical Christian reviews. Like, well, how can a review be Christian? How can a book be Christian? I think I know what I mean by using that phrase, but other people have some other ideas of what that means. You know, whether it's an absence of swear words or whether you have to put an altar call in the book somewhere, aren't those the things that make a book or a review or something Christian? Well, unfortunately, we can't include an asterisk there every time we use the phrase Christian books or Christian review. We can't always explain what we mean there, uh, but part of me really wants to explain our view of it every time. Just hopefully re reviewers, uh, readers, that is, will stick around the site long enough and be able to absorb at least that, uh, that idea of what the Christian label might mean uh, the longer they stay with us. Well, of course, I, I think a Christian, you know, book means it involves the Bible code or a, same with a review. You know, you got to put a little hidden something in there to point towards a, a Bible prophecy. <laughs> Just kidding. No, the first letters of every sentence have to add up to be, you know, <laughs> re repent, Jesus, Bible, gospel, something like that. The Lord's Prayer or something. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to number six on canceling the baby eating baby Yoda. And this is by Parker J. Cole on Spec Faith. Boy, this article was like the gift that kept on giving. Like this thing went crazy on social media. I mean, th this whole topic was a huge discussion for a whole week. And then the next episode dropped and everyone forgot it. But Parker's article, Man, Stephen, like every day I pulled up Facebook and there were like 10 new comments on it. Like everyone was weighing in on this issue. So let me uh, read a little excerpt here from her article. She says, quote, in the Mandalorian, from what I've seen of posts, baby Yoda is eating the eggs of some frog alien lady. <laughs> Apparently this frog alien lady or whatever <laughs> is the last of her kind and her babies are the future and he's chomping on them. Due to the controversy, the producers clarified that the eggs are not fertilized, so there's no actual baby he's chomping on. They compared it to us eating chicken eggs. This apparently backfired because now some of the fans were really disgusted. <laughs> <laughs> it was meant as a comic relief, just like Alf trying to eat Lucky the cat, who was really lucky after all. Yet the uproar's up. Now cute baby Yoda is now cannibal baby Yoda and the scourge of the universe. You gotta be kidding me. This is the latest example of a culture who has lost its soul and is replaced with a veneer of morality. For goodness sake, baby Yoda ain't real. The frog alien lady ain't real. The eggs, the puppet, or CG baby Yoda is, is eating ain't real. Throw all the shade on a puppet is ridiculous. End quote. <laughs> okay That's so fabulous. the funny thing 
Oh, I just, I just love it. I love her taking this whole thing to task. And, you know, she comments on just the larger kind of more serious issue. There's a very obvious pro-life theme that's connected to all this. I really encourage listeners to read her article. It's a really great reflection on this. We'll of course have all these links in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. But it's just so funny. Um, so Parker says at the beginning, she's not a Star Wars fan. So she's like, I don't care about this frog alien lady. Like, who cares? <laughs> well, that was half of the reader outrage right there. How, how could you, how could you not be, how could you not be a Star Wars fan? First and all you have to do is point in the general direction of the prequels and or The Last Jedi uh, and or whatever Star Wars movie you don't like. Then that's, that's the excuse. I think for Parker, though, I, I know her. She's great. Uh, she's more, she's a little bit more like me, though. She's kind of. If I had to choose between Star Wars and Star Trek, I would choose Star Trek. And part of that's just how you were raised. Yeah. Well, and it's just funny because this, this frog alien lady, like a lot of people just didn't even like her at all. And so I she came liked out of, her. And she came out of nowhere. So it's like, who is this lady? Why do we care about her? Let's, let's get back to finding whatever we're supposed to find and, and just get this side story out of here. So for a lot of people, that whole episode was such a distraction. And then there's all these other people that are so extremely upset about the, about the eggs. I'm like, dude, baby Yoda's doing baby Yoda. Like you can't, you can't argue with the baby about what they do. Yeah, so. fr- frog lady. She was on this little side quest and that that's the term for this episode is it was a side quest, but the intention in terms of uh, Mando's emotional journey there was that he got to see, however distantly a wholesome familial relationship she says she's going to this planet to find her husband and they're going to start their family and it's something that he will always struggle with that mask is not just because it has the cool t-shaped mandalorian design on it that mask represents things that represents his you know this is his way he's 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 cut off from some of what he thinks might be a normal family relationship he's a foundling helping a foundling they're trying to be a kind of family in this universe. And then he sees, you know, a more traditional family and it is portrayed so wonderfully. There's no subversion there. Uh, and, and yet, you know, there's still this comic relief going on uh, with, uh, with spoiler Grogu eating the eggs. Although we don't know that's his name yet. That's revealed a few episodes later. Uh, by the way, Mandalorian season two spoilers. Ahoy. Uh, we reached out to Parker, actually. Uh, she's a radio host. Uh, she hosts her own uh, radio show. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. And she also writes uh, for the Speculative Faith blog at uh, lorehaven.com. So we actually asked her to share by audio uh, some of her thoughts after uh, the uh, the baby-eating baby Yoda dust-up. And here's what she had to say. Hi, Steve and Zach. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my thoughts about the article I provided Speculative Faith entitled, on canceling the baby eating baby Yoda, what happens when fandom and cancel culture collide with a misplaced sense of morality? I gotta say, I was invigorated by the conversation this article propelled. I had no expectations when I wrote it, besides maybe one or two people making a comment about what I had gotten wrong about the episode. Well, let me tell you, as you know, this was one of the top 10 articles 
on speculative faith and no one was more surprised about that than i was what i really appreciated about the article and about the feedback that i received is that fans are so very willing to make sure that if you're going to critique something at least have your facts straight i came from a position of not being a fan of the star wars franchise so i wasn't really into the entire series of the mandalorian however one thing I really do know is that because I came at it with a neutral and a completely objective view about the show itself, I was able to receive the feedback without having any emotional attachment to it whatsoever. Even if the feedback was critical of my stance, it was okay because again, I'm not a fan, so it doesn't really bother me. However, when some of the commentators refuted my statement that Captain Kirk of Star Trek was the best captain ever, I actually had an emotive response to their comment. So it lets you know that being a fan isn't just enjoying a particular genre or a particular TV show or character, you are fully immersed in this obsession. So I totally appreciated the Star Wars fans who reacted to my article whether in approval or not i really appreciated their input further thoughts about the article itself is that i was very happy that the fans were able to correct me where i was wrong and it does help to at least have some idea of whatever it is you're going to critique at least know what you're talking about for example my information came from a third party i had seen an article about by a blogger who was critical of this whole idea of baby Yoda eating this frog lady's eggs. And at first I was thinking to myself, why are so many people upset about a fictional character's eggs? Why aren't they upset when real eggs in the real world are aborted every year? Fertilized eggs, not unfertilized eggs as mentioned in the show. But people were very quick to make sure that I understood it wasn't her entire race that was being eaten by Baby Yoda. It was her genetic line. The producers saw this event in the episode as a form of comic relief, but some of the viewers did not see it that way. And then again, some of the commentators said, if he likes frogs, why would you put a baby who likes to eat frogs around a frog baby's eggs? It kind of didn't make any sense. So yeah, maybe they didn't think that through too far. Another thing that I liked about the article was that it really didn't make me want to be a Star Wars fan. I'll be honest with you. Some people were like, are you going to start watching Star Wars now? And I have to be very honest. No, I'm not a Star Wars fan. For one thing, Star Wars is a contained story, whereas Star Trek is a story that continues to evolve. Do I like the direction of where Star Trek is going now? Probably not, but that is another subject for another time. But it did make me want to almost be a fan of The Mandalorian. In fact, I ended up following the story the following week where the producers actually corrected Yoda's, baby Yoda's response to eating the eggs because only one egg could be fertilized by the frog lady's husband. And baby Yoda at some point 
began to understand that by him eating her unfertilized eggs, he was affecting her line in some way. I think that was just the producers making sure to correct baby Yoda's mistake. But like some of the fans said, how can you really train a toddler not to eat any and everything that he sees? And the Mandalorian apparently is not the best father figure or parent figure out there. So those are my thoughts about on canceling the baby eating baby Yoda. One commentator said, I should not have used the term abortion to compare what was happening with baby Yoda eating her eggs. In fact, he said it would be more appropriate to parallel it with genocide. Whether or not I agree with that, I don't know, but I actually did see his point and I was thankful for him making that suggestion. So in closing, those were my thoughts about the response on the article on canceling the baby eating baby Yoda. Really enjoyed writing the article, really enjoyed getting the feedback that I received. Thanks so much, Zach and Steve. Well, our thanks to Parker for supplying that and writing this great article and just really bringing focus to everything. And and I especially enjoyed the ALF reference because, oh, I was a huge fan of ALF. And, uh, you know, for you younger listeners, you got to go check out ALF however you can. It's a pretty fantastic show from the, what is it, the 80s? I don't even know. I appreciate uh, Parker, uh, you know, going back and realizing like, okay, there were some things I could have said differently in retrospect. I think she's still correct, though, about the disproportionate moral outrage. Just, you know, looking at it from a 10,000 foot view at the cultural level, why are people like actually, actually sincerely emotionally disturbed by the idea of, of this, uh, you know, baby from Yoda's species uh, eating eggs? You know, even if he was eating tadpoles that had been fertilized, you know, why does this strike people as so outrageous? These are not only imaginary aliens, but in universe, they're basically sentient animals. You know, how is this so, uh, how is this so outrageous in comparison to actual evils in the real world? It is worth drawing up that point. But at the same time, the fact that people were apparently even more disgusted to think of themselves eating eggs, even though they weren't fertilized. I thought we were supposed Mm -hmm. to have education about these things. You know, what are they teaching in schools? Uh, these days guys it, it is an egg it, it is an egg and if it's not a fertilized egg if the rooster hasn't done his thing uh, if we're talking about chickens here uh, then it's it's okay you're not actually devouring a life like it is an ingredient for life but then we'll need to have a conversation about chickens and you know veganism or any of those things as well i don't know how much of that may have been mixed up in here but i i found it kind of interesting and and yet you know, a little bit of a footnote, ultimately, in the uh, the pop culture controversies of 2020, uh, because we had a lot more going on. And just in the story itself, it's like she's the last of her kind. And so if all the eggs, e- even if there's no life in the eggs, it's like, well, if those all get taken away, then that's it. You know, and then she's the last frog person. But oh, undeniably, it's a dark humor moment. Right. And, and, and that that is a matter of personal taste, though. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm receptive to some dark humor. Some people would say more darkly, you know, gallows humor. Um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe that was something that just struck people as alien in the world of Star Wars. But in that case, maybe they missed the part of the first episode where Mando walks into basically the space saloon and gets attacked. And then he, you know, he ropes this guy backward into the, the space equivalent of the saloon doors, which is actually kind of this, this iris opening <laughs> style door 
And then you just see it start to close on this guy, you know, right at the waist. And then the camera cuts away right before he was presumably sliced in half. And that's like, you just, you know, Ooh, you know, like, Whoa, that's I'm not sure Mando meant to do that, but that was the effect. And, you know, in the story world, the guy is a bad guy and kind of had it coming from my memory. I feel like the most fantastical thing about Star Wars is the complete lack of OSHA guidelines. Because, man, how would a door like that ever pass muster and, you know, safety engineering or something? Yeah, it passes the cool factor muster. That That's about it. Yeah. But, Stephen, you know, you bring up a good point is why do we care so much about imaginary characters and, you know, the travails that they go through? And, listener, you might you might be hearing that as a rebuke, but I, I think it's actually a very good question that we, we should dive into sometime as like a full episode on that. It's, it's a rebuke and an affirmation all at once. A story can take a shortcut to the imagination and go places that, uh, you know, where, where we put up our walls against the facts or the history you know, because we've got our categories and our beliefs that we don't want violated. Thank you very much. But the stories can go in those directions. And in that case, if someone is in a relationship with a fan of that story who's kind of already there, then that person has an avenue to come alongside in the context of a pre-existing relationship and say, okay, like you've just imagined this. Now let's, let's ask the question, what do you think about basically the equivalent of this in real life? You know, if, if you can think this way in the story world, then the credit in the imagination should transfer over to reality. So next, uh, for number five, uh, going in uh, in this order, for the most popular themes discussions among lorehaven.com readers in 2020, we have this article from Cap Stewart, The Chosen, Speculative Fiction Meets a Factual Savior. This is the original version of the article we published at Speculative Faith. And then I think in the summer issue, we actually had a version of that article uh, just condensed a little bit uh, for uh, for that audience. This is the original version that Cap Stewart wrote about the uh, Dallas Jenkins show, The Chosen, which I think was thinking about it, uh, listeners, and realizing that I think if you're to think about Christian-made popular culture uh, that is not politics, <laughs> more on that in a future episode, The Chosen is probably at the top right now. And it has gotten there through simple grassroots organization and crowdfunding. And we'll hear a little bit more from Cap Stewart here in his uh, original text from the article here's an excerpt quote led by writer director producer dallas jenkins the filmmakers have chosen to use the format of a multi-season tv show giving the narrative ample room to breathe and thus avoiding just hitting the highlights of the gospels before the credits roll furthermore the show approaches the topic of jesus's ministry not primarily from christ's perspective but from the perspective of those around him as jenkins himself has stated if the audience can encounter Jesus through the eyes of those who met him, the audience can be impacted in the same way they were. The genius behind this approach seems obvious in retrospect. While Christ is the truest and greatest protagonist the universe has ever known, there is by necessity a bit of a disconnect between his perspective and that of every other human being in history. Jesus is infinitely admirable, yes, but not easily relatable. There are limits to how a sinful and finite audience can relate to a holy and infinite character. It would be a gross misstatement to say that Jesus is not the focus of the chosen, but rather than his experience being the focal point, it is his work in and through the lives of others as they experienced it that drives the story forward. End quote. Kappa has written elsewhere about the chosen as well. And then uh, actually, uh, Zach and I, I think partly inspired by this article that uh, we did 
an episode of the podcast about The Chosen 2. So we'll have all those links, as usual, in the show notes. The show notes for this episode will be simply bursting uh, with links. And um, I affirm everything that Cap says there on a personal level. The Chosen is fantastic. They are right now near Dallas uh, filming select scenes for season two of The Chosen, which has taken a lot more effort and funding this year because of the coronavirus pandemic. They just got back from uh, Utah where they filmed a bunch of scenes in, uh, I think, an existing uh, a Jerusalem village set up there. I think it was actually Cap's article that originally convinced me to watch the show, Stephen. And I, I honed in on this word. He said that it's not cringy. And I'm like, okay, now you've got my attention because that's, that's a that's low bar to my, clear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's usually my first filter. Cause I, I'm just going to be honest, like a lot of stuff falls in that category, but everything about, he was absolutely right about it being professionally written, uh, cast costumed, uh, the set, the sound, the cinematography, you know, he, he had some little quibbles about the music, but it's still really, really good. And the, the acting is great. I, I really can't find any major faults at all with the show. And you know, everything he said about it was spot on. In fact, I was, I was recently talking to an old friend of mine about the show. He hadn't even heard of it. And I was like, oh man, you really got to watch this. Like if there's any Christian show that has come out in the last 20 years that I'd want you to watch. It's, it's this show just because it's, it's that well done. Like our kids love the show. Like they laugh so much when we watch it. We always have great discussions after it. And you know, for us personally, it's really fun. Steven, we, we went as a family to this place in central Texas called main street, Bethlehem. And it's this reenactment of, uh, of Bethlehem, the first century town. And so they have structures, they have actors, they have all these props, animals, Roman soldiers, you know, and then a little cave basically where you've got Mary and Joseph with baby Jesus and a giant star above it. And it was so fun to walk through that. And my youngest daughter just sat and stared at, at, uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus just for like 20 minutes or something. And so just to enter that world is so mesmerizing and and getting to see it on screen and getting to know all these characters like you know we read them on the pages but to actually kind of imagine what their lives must have been like it it's fascinating it's one of the best shows i've ever seen it is and what is doubly fascinating i think is the way that its popularity has spread among fans back in my day you know back, back i'd say in the 90s or so if if someone had tried to make this show in the 90s what would have happened is you would have gone to the big professional ministries. Uh, you would have gone to the big professional Christian magazines. There wouldn't have been a whole lot of websites back then, especially if we're talking about in the early 90s. But, you know, you, you would have gone to all these major evangelical platforms and it would have been funded that way. And the popularity would have spread that way. For example, see, oddly enough, uh, the, uh, the, the book franchise uh, popularized in part by the chosen creator Dallas Jenkins's father, Jerry B. Jenkins, the Left Behind series. I mean, mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of word of mouth for that, but then it, uh, it, it, it spread like wildfire, uh, due in part to a lot of uh, articles and attention from evangelical and even secular media. The Chosen, I think, has taken a very different path. It has been uh, crowdsourced. Uh, they worked with one company. I think it was a VidAngel. And uh, now, though, I think, uh, let's not tell, uh, nobody tell VidAngel, but I think the VidAngel branding has gone down just a little bit, and The Chosen has become its own brand. It's got its own app. 
Uh, it's got its own uh, fan base. You know, the VidAngel right. is still there. You know, they're still a partner uh, with the with the making of this show. Uh, but it it really is its own thing. You know, they're rolling out shirts and you know Blu-ray gift sets and you know collectible items, the devotionals. You know, some of what you would expect for an evangelical popular cultural franchise. But it seems to have been more of a natural response to fan demand rather yeah. than, okay, here's a new Christian thing that gets an end cap in the Christian bookstore, and y'all are going to like it because you got to support this and send a message to Hollywood. Okay, The Chosen doesn't do that. And that alone removes the cringe factor you mentioned, at least from the marketing. Uh, but the show itself is just so fabulous and yet fits neatly within what you would expect from an independently made streaming drama. Actors who you haven't heard of to a large extent, but they're doing a really great job, you know, filming outdoors and on location. You know, it just it feels real and yet also feels very modern at the same time. Uh, and, and I love that. And Cap Stewart also is a fan. Uh, hopefully we get a few more fans here. One other thing, and even though the show is not fantastical in the traditional sense, I mean, it is fantastical because you're starting with scripture. Uh, that is the story of stories that any Christian fan ought to start with. There's Jesus. There are miracles. You know, this is the original hero's journey. But on top of that, just the way that the show has been spread, I think this is something that Christians who want to see a renaissance in Christian-made culture, in Christian-made popular culture, imagination, this is something we need to watch. This is something that we need to appreciate, that the show has been earnest. Uh, it has been biblical. They have led with that. They're not trying to subvert the scripture at all. They affirm the integrity, the inerrancy of the Gospels, but they're also very clear. This is what we're doing with that. This is biblical fiction. This is a drama. We are speculating. We're backfilling the backstories of the characters, and we're asking, okay, you know, why exactly was Peter so desperate to catch fish, or what would have made Matthew this way? All of that is perfectly within the grounds of biblical imagination, and I think Christians who want to see fantastical fiction spread and get more popular among the church need to watch how they have made and marketed The Chosen. There's a little bit of snark. There's a little bit of fun, a lot of bit of fun on the social media uh, pages for The Chosen, for example, but never oh, yeah. at the expense of the fans or the gospel, for sure. When they make fun, they are making fun of themselves and they're constantly reinforcing in people's minds, guys, we love this TV show. We're serious about it, but it is a TV show. It's okay to show a picture of Jesus from our show with the aforementioned Grogu, actually, and the caption, let the little children come to me. Some fans got really upset with that. How can you mix and match like that? You know, they're not even legalistic against Star Wars. It's just, you're blowing up my categories. You know, Star Wars right. is Monday through Saturday, and Jesus' show is for Sunday. It, it should be all Monday through Sunday, folks. Yeah, you know, it has that kind of friendly feel of a church skit, but but still the very high production quality of anything else you'd see on TV. And so that that's kind of the, the mystery of it to me. And and I love that, it, you know, you mentioned the social media pages for The Chosen. I love that it has its own memes, like little clips from the show. There's this one particularly of Matthew I'm thinking of where, you know, we've all seen the Michael Jackson where he's eating popcorn. And there's this one scene where Ma the disciple Matthew is sitting there eating grapes, just kind of amazed at something. I'm like, dude, they totally did that moment. It's totally the popcorn meme, but or the the GIF. And yes, it's yes, it's pronounced GIF. But <laughs> but you know, they they totally recreated that in the first century with Matthew, and it was just fantastic. And I I keep seeing that pop up. I'm like, oh, you know, the chosen. Like, it's just it's great. Like, it's ah, it. I just I love the 
the fandom for the show that sprung up around it. And I was kind of late to the game. And so it was really fun to just to jump into all that. Well, the fandom really took off this year. I, I, I mean, this, the series started uh, one or two years ago, but the fandom has really grown. And now I think it's growing exponentially and that's good and that's healthy. And it's also, I think, even in some of the comment section of the, of the memes where people are getting upset, you know, and then others are getting upset at them. And then somebody will leave the discussion <laughs> group because too many Catholics around here, you know, or too many anti-Catholics or whatever. All of that, I think, is just side effects. You know, these are glitches yeah. common to any fandom. And the fandom has grown so much, mainly because the show and its creators are so human. They are earnest and respectful and reverential, but at the same time, they're going to crack jokes and they're going to crack jokes about themselves. And uh, I think as long as they do that, not only will the chosen continue to grow, but they will illustrate a way forward for any Christian who's wanting to make great stories intentionally for the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's close out this discussion with, uh, with an update from Cap Stewart. Obviously, he's going to be writing about the chosen more, and we'll certainly have uh, more discussion about it at Lorehaven and Fantastical Truth. But I reached out to Cap about some thoughts after this article. And he sent in not audio, but text, which I will read now. Quote, every time I wrote about The Chosen at Lorehaven and elsewhere, it garnered an extraordinary amount of attention. This is, I think, a sign of the show's increasing popularity and cultural traction. In fact, The Chosen is striking a chord with audiences all across the globe. Part of the reason for the show's success is what you might call the Aslan effect. In the Chronicles of Narnia, it is indisputable that the narrative and thematic hinge on which everything else turns is Aslan, the Christ figure within the world of Narnia. Every time he is on the page, we are amazed and mesmerized. And yet, if you evaluate the series as a whole, Aslan's screen time is relatively short when compared to all the other characters. What's more, the books are never written from his perspective, only from those who are affected by him. This is the same approach the Chosen takes with the central character of Christ. The focus of the show is on those around Jesus, those affected by him. And as an audience, we are much more readily identify with the lives of finite sinful humans and how an infinite and holy God radically changes their hearts, minds, and lives. It's a great way to craft an emotionally engaging narrative. Almost paradoxically, the Chosen emphasizes the glory and greatness of Christ all the more by keeping him on the narrative periphery, end quote. Amen, Cap. I look forward to seeing how they do that in the season two and beyond of The Chosen. Okay, number four. How do the fishmen and pirates of One Piece subvert systemic racism? And this is by L. Jaggy Lamplighter Wright. And, you know, this is a anime that I was not familiar with until I read this article. This is kind of interesting just to kind of be on the periphery of this fandom and, and sort of look in and, and analyze this. Sounds like this has been going on a very long time. Oh, definitely. One Piece is decades old. It's a, it's a manga, which is a you know, Japanese adventure comic or a Japanese uh, graphic novel, serialized format. And uh, recently, One Piece actually just reached its 1,000th chapter. Uh, wow. All one author. I mean, he's got a squadron now of surely you know, editors and inkers and however that works in the manufacturing of manga. But the story comes from the um, the mind, uh, the imagination of one man, uh, namely uh, Ichiro Oda, uh, the uh, the famous manga artist in Japan. He's been doing One Piece for I think decades now. So when we're talking about an arc, like it's it's um it's a single story that's part of the uh, you know the main story of One Piece, uh, which uh, 
which uh, she's going to describe here. But the reason why we ran this is because uh, it was the summer, of course, uh, of a lot of racial unrest and some things, you know, relating to politics. So again, there's only so much we can say about it on this podcast without breaking format, but it seemed appropriate to go back to this story, uh, which um, I think um, my wife and I watched in the anime form a couple of years ago, uh, and we're just very gripped by the imagination of these racial issues in a completely different world, which then, as I mentioned earlier, just throws off all the categories. Mm -hmm. You can't say, oh, well, these people there are like this people group here. You know, and this terrible action is analogous to, you know, this over here during that year or this decade. You can't draw those equivalents. And so you're forced into thinking about things more bigger picture. And therefore, so long as the morality is good in the show, in the story world, so long as that holds true, you can look at uh, contemporary issues with a revitalized imagination. So this is from the article, quote, 10,000 feet below the surface of the sea, trouble is brewing. Ancient racial hatred is simmering, growing dangerously close to boiling over. This is the situation in the Fishman Island arc of the long-running anime manga One Piece, where the main characters, the Straw Hat Pirates, arrive at Fishman Island. In the midst of the action and humor of this pirate adventure story, author Ichiro Oda gives us an unexpectedly insightful glimpse into racism and its effects upon a culture. Fishman Island, deep beneath the ocean, is inhabited by a race of undersea beings who are both stronger and more varied than humans. Some are beautiful, such as the mermaids. Others are huge and powerful, like shark men or octopus men, massive creatures who can crush a human with a single blow. The loveliness of the first and the fearsome destructiveness of the second have made the fishmen into hot commodities at the slave markets of Saobidi. Pirates often descend to their home island deep under the sea in order to kidnap fishmen and their children. Fishmen pirates return the favor, terrorizing humans and destroying their towns. This clash of races has been going on for generations. In the midst of this racial animosity, two inhabitants of Fishman Island saw the toll it was taking on their society and vowed to make a change. They both saw the same suffering. The reaction, however, could not have been more different, end quote. And then she goes on in the article to kind of summarize the um, plot arc or the story arc of this uh, this segment. And this was a very interesting article, Stephen, because it, uh, again, I, I don't know anything about this show. I'd never even heard of it before this article. But it made me very intrigued about, you know, sort of this hero's journey and villain's journey that start from the same place and the two characters one the one becomes a hero one that becomes a villain you know they weren't that different at the outset and that was very fascinating it's like they could have gone either way which by the way this is what i love about uh star trek nemesis just to go on a total different tangent how there's this clone of picard who's become a very different person and then you you gotta wonder what makes picard picard but in this show, you know, I, I'm very intrigued by how these um, kind of how the cycle of violence either perpetuates itself or how people try to break out of it. Well, we got these new comments from L. Jaggy Lamplighter, who says, quote, stories have a way of simplifying complex issues that often make light of them. One of the wonderful things about One Piece is that it does not simplify these problems. 
Long-held hatred is not brushed away in an hour or a day or even a year. Part of the reason for this is that One Piece's long-running format allows the story to delve into the heights and depths of our human experience. But then, part of the reason that the series is so long-running is because it does such a top-notch job of portraying such problems. It highlights serious issues without trivializing them. As Christians, we yearn for improvements in the suffering of our fellow man, but a story that tells us that the solution can come rapidly can sometimes damage our faith. We grow impatient when God does not send a solution instantly. We forget that patience and long-suffering are virtues upon which the Bible expounds. The stories that remind us that perseverance is needed, that we should not give up, even in the face of terrible adversity, but which yet also give us hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, these kinds of stories can help build our faith. These are the kinds that are worthy of our time. End quote. I so agree with that. Next week, uh, she is actually exploring one piece again at laurahaven.com because the the manga, I think in the first week of 2021, reached its 1,000th chapter. Uh, This is indeed a long-running story franchise. I don't think that anybody on either side of the Pacific Ocean making these kinds of stories has reached that kind of milestone. Not for a single universe with a single set of characters constantly expanding from a single creative mind. So that's definitely something to watch for uh, next week, uh, or actually this week as you're listening to this at lorehaven.com. Speaking of lorehaven.com, that's actually the, uh, the number three item we have on our list. Uh, is kind of a grouping uh, as I'm looking back on the archives and seeing which uh, topics, themes got the most amount of reader attention. Uh, I would say that broadly, Lorehaven itself uh, got uh, got at least the third ranking here uh, because of the popularity of uh, issues that we released uh, with the with Lorehaven magazine uh, last year. Uh, we had to start changing that up a bit. Uh, we couldn't go to events, uh, obviously, or distribute any of the print magazines, so we started shifting to more of a digital format for those issues. So I'll kind of uh, kind of sneak in a little bit of a self sponsored segment here uh, just to discuss the Lorehaven.com upgrades again for 2021, uh, literally rolled those out or started rolling them out uh, right there the first week of the new year. Uh, instead of the quarterly issues, uh, we get the new articles every week, including that one about one piece we have coming up and a lot of other good stuff from guest writers and uh, regular writers who have signed up to uh, give us something at least uh, once a month or maybe once every two or three months. We also have a news posts function. I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about that because we now have a format that enables us to just comment on something that's trending, uh, a topic or news uh, that is of interest to people in the Christian fan communities. For example, Zach, in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, we uh, relayed the news from the OneRing.net that an official synopsis of Amazon's Middle Earth show had released, oh, great. Uh, which uh, bringing plenty of attention there. And of course, lots of questions from fans of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit films wondering how this new series from different creative voices uh, will will compare and just exactly how it's going to work and going back you know a couple of thousand years before the events of the Lord of the Rings films and exploring how Sauron got there and what's going on with Numenor and all of this stuff from a lot of Tolkien's appendices uh, to which these creators still have the rights to make adaptations so we did that uh, we do announcements there about upcoming events uh, especially with friends of ours like realm makers and we have the live stream uh, that I'm doing for them. Uh, hopefully, yeah, this uh, this Thursday, actually, uh, January 21st coming up. So we just post stuff like that at the news function 
course, we'll still have the Tuesday podcast episodes, uh, except for our Christmas break. Uh, we release a new episode of the Fantastical Truth podcast every Tuesday. And then uh, we kind of phased in uh, putting up the new reviews every Friday now. Every Friday, we have a new review release of a uh, fantastical Christian-made novel that our hardworking uh, review team members have chosen to review. And so they share their thoughts about that there. And maybe you can find one of your next favorite reads. Uh, finally, if you subscribe at the uh, lorehaven.com slash subscribe, uh, you can now get notifications about all of these different types of content or only some of those. So you can you know, choose which ones are most relevant to your interests. Check the little box or flip the little switch, whatever it is, using the email subscribe function. Uh, right now, everybody who subscribed to Lorehaven gets everything because uh, we hardly had been sending anything out except if there was a new issue every three months or so. Uh, so your inbox may be now flooded with uh, some more stuff from us. If you need to dial that back, feel free. Just just uh, see the subscribe link at the bottom there and then uh, let us know what you want to get. At the end of this episode, by the way, we will actually feature some bonus feedback from readers of those articles and news posts at lorehaven.com. Uh, you can also get big answers to questions like, you know, what, what's this whole thing about? You know, lorehaven.com is bigger uh, than the Fantastical Truth podcast. We are trying, ultimately, to help revitalize the church, uh, the church of Jesus Christ, anyone who believes in the gospel, to love and share and make better these kinds of fantastical fantasy sci-fi stories and beyond. And you can see our cover story, uh, or in fact, uh, we're actually going to explore this a little bit, uh, hopefully in the next episode of this very podcast. So we'll, we'll link in the show notes to that cover story called Only the Beginning of the Adventure, and if you're interested in going a little bit deeper about what our mission is at lorehaven.com, why we do what we do, that is a great place to start. All right. Number two, how does Jesus define and redeem his gift of imagination? And this was our podcast episode with Brian Gadawa, uh, which you can find in the show notes. This was episode seven of our podcast. And let's play a little clip from that show. There's like two kinds of Christians in the church when it comes to movies and television. And it was the cultural anorexics or the cultural gluttons, you know, and the anorexics were those who say, well, there's too much sex and violence. So I don't watch any television or any movies. And, you know, and then there's the other side that says, Hey, look, there's not that much and we're free in Christ and we have to be mature, but I can watch anything because nothing's going to affect me, you know? And so you've got those two extremes. And I tried to educate by saying, look, We've gone too far in some of these extremes. Here's where they are. I write about, you know, the Bible is R-rated, okay, but that doesn't justify pornography. There's understanding story structure helps you understand how they actually communicate worldviews in movies, but that doesn't mean you, you, you should throw out a movie just because you disagree with its worldview because you can gain something even from those with who you disagree. This was the danger I talked about in the beginning of the podcast. This is what I meant by danger. It's like, yeah. Yeah, reality is dangerous. You have to you have to try to to you have to be discerning, and you this, these these simplistic scenarios of you either embrace it all or you throw it all out is very common, and they're both wrong. and And that's why I, I so much value what you guys are doing. I really enjoyed that discussion we had with Brian Stephen. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it 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 was a very long discussion. It could have kept going as far as I was concerned. Referencing something you said a minute ago about helping the church, you know, revitalize and redeem the gift of imagination, of fiction, of storytelling. We've talked about this kind of in recent episodes. This isn't simply, you know, a distraction from current events. 
This isn't simply an escape from stuff, but it's an escape to something. Storytelling really just helps us live a fuller human experience. You know, we joke about why do we have all these feelings for imaginary people? This is a great episode to explore that because imagination and creativity is woven into our very nature. Yeah, definitely go check out that episode if you haven't heard it yet. Well, Brian is a fantastic voice about this. He is a prolific author of multiple different novels. He he blends spiritual warfare, uh, speculative history, and his own unique take on history, uh, in which he has you know spirits, uh, demon uh, warlords, all these uh, various seemingly fantastical creatures. Uh, a lot of it derived from uh, ancient mythology, uh, coexisting with the narrative of scripture, and that, that's in a lot of his fiction. Some of that can get a little controversial, especially because uh, Brian likes to go into some more, you know, some more violent content. You know, he, he almost veers on the pulp in uh, some of his style, uh, but his his intent is to awaken the imagination for like, wait a minute, you know, what what could have actually, what could have, or maybe was actually going on behind the scenes? You know, when Jesus died, and you know, what what was Jesus doing before his resurrection? And you know, it can get kind of wild. But I think at the foundation there is at least a very, a very biblical intent to sponsor a biblical redemption of imagination. And that was a fantastic discussion. And apparently lots of our listeners felt that way as well. That was a very popular episode, appropriately, episode seven there. I need to go back and listen to that one again. And of course, uh, if you want to listen to that, just go in your podcast player, scroll back. Episode seven should be right there. And we'll, of course, link to that in the show notes. Speaking of politics, ever so briefly, ever so briefly, I had to put this here <laughs> just because it, you know, we have to acknowledge reality. You know, we believe in that biblical use of imagination to reflect reality in different ways. So even though we at Lorehaven tried, tried to avoid this, I would say that among Christian fans, whether or not we wrote about it, the top issue of 2020 was, of course, politics. Politics, 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 politics everywhere. So much politics. You could not walk a foot without stepping in a big puddle of politics and you get it all over the place and it starts flying up in your eyes and it gets kind of gross no matter what side you're on. Uh, the less I say about that here, probably the better. Uh, I will say, uh, Zach, that we did. Uh, I mean, it'll creep in on the edges, you know, mainly because people will use politics as a substitute for religion. I think especially in the United States, as more people are following through with either materialism or consumerism or just the the hodgepodge, you know, uniquely Western culture way we have of grabbing what we like from the buffet, ye old country buffet, oh, ancient religions. And then we ladle it onto the plate and then add some crackers and then just stir it all up, you know, whatever floats our boat, whatever looks shiny. As people continue to do that, then we're going to get politics everywhere. Like even if lorehaven.com only wants to talk about fantasy, sci-fi and beyond, I guess, I mean, fantasy and sci-fi, any of those types of stories, politics is a human experience. You know, people getting together and trying to govern themselves or define reality or define morality by legislation. That's just going to happen. But I think an, an issue that we struggled with, uh, I know you and Isaac individually in this past year was just trying to stay focused. Imagination is more powerful when we are dealing with it as imagination through healthy outlets like fiction and storytelling. It's both more powerful and healthier than when we act like we're only about practical reality and voting and movements and issues. And of course, our very important 
social media debates. When we cover up imagination, it's going to get in there somewhere. But if we don't know what we're dealing with, then we are going to dealing, be dealing just with our imaginations and thinking that it's just reality. And so we'll start confusing imagination and reality. And how much of that has gone on, especially in the past year? Again, regardless of how it fleshes out and how you see the world and which side of the protests you're on, if we are confusing imagination and reality, then I think this becomes a very, very bad spiritual hazard. A healthier outlet for imagination is, I think, fiction and storytelling. And yet we're also going to touch on a, f a few of these issues and at least why we avoid them on this podcast uh, in a few minutes under the fantastic fan segment. You touched on something really important there, Stephen, which is that we often look at politics as this is real world stuff. This is I'm, I'm getting involved. I'm doing something productive. And yet we ignore how much of it is fueled by the imagination and, and sometimes by a fictional story that we've created in our minds. And um, I'm, I'm going to reference something I, I sent to you offline earlier, um, and I'm going to try to make this as apolitical as possible, because I think that th this is a, a greater issue for the human heart. It's not simply a, a left or right thing. But there was this uh, series of, of tweets I found yesterday, uh, someone posted in a group I'm in, and it was very fascinating how this person uh, was analyzing their political opponent by referencing what their opponent is imagining about this person's side. And then I'm like, well, then you're kind of doing the same thing, right? You're, you're imagining what they're imagining by imagining them being a certain way. And uh, so I'll, I'll go through a couple of these statements because they're so fascinating. He says, uh, they feel empowered to live out their warrior fantasies. Okay, that, that's kind of interesting. They imagine themselves toppling you know, the greatest evil imaginable. And, and now the authority is on their side. They're not simply silencing people. They're eradicating evil. They're gleeful because we're not people to them. We're symbols of what they feel morally driven to remove from the world. So, okay, he, he goes on and on and on about this. But um, again, the interesting thing to me is he references, he references the very specific things in history and in fiction. And it's just interesting how we sort of project that into our views. And so I, I think you're right, Stephen, is that we start with imagination first, and then we sort of move from there to other things. And hey, you know, this podcast is, is all about the imagination, but it, it's about uh, really taking a deeper dive into the stories that fascinate us and, and why they fascinate us. Because I think that that is a, uh, a bigger common ground that we can, we can have with a lot of people. I, I think we can it's a shared language that we can have. And I think we desperately need that right now is, is sort of a, a common space that we can enjoy together and ensure and, and discuss and debate. Uh, I love baby Yoda debates like anyone else, but I, I think we have to acknowledge that that's where a lot of this starts from. Amen. Amen. Times 10. The only addendum I would offer is that this is not just a, wouldn't it be nice if type statement. We actually, I think have biblical support for this. This is a biblical anthropology, a biblical view of humanity to respect the imaginations that God has given us, to respect the image of God that each one of us bears, you know, regardless of what side of the protest or what side of the aisle uh, that we're on. And if we're not respecting that, uh, then I think we're outside of God's will. We're outside of God's vision for human flourishing. And this isn't to overthrow the very real differences between parties and often, you know, the very 
profound ways that you know, certain groups or certain political parties can stand in direct opposition to uh, uh, God's law or a, a godly vision of human flourishing, even definitions of who people are. I mean, uh, political parties or groups are now in direct defiance of those. They're saying like, no, actually, this is how people are. You know, you have to go this way or else you are a bad person. Like those are real. Christians must engage with those, but not at the expense of the imagination, not at the expense of understanding our common humanity and these gifts that God has given us, you know, for more healthy outlets like fiction. And as I argued in an article last week at lorehaven.com, it is healthier even for Christians to have a shallow subculture that rips off the world. It's comparatively healthier to have even that than it is to be obsessed with politics, all politics, all the time. All right. Well, let's hear from the fantastic fans. We've got, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four things to go through. So this is uh, going to be some great feedback we've got from our listeners and readers. Yeah, this is a bit of an expanded fantastic fan segment, at least for this episode. Uh, we may do something like that in the future. Uh, but because of all those lorehaven.com upgrades I mentioned, uh, we've been getting a lot more feedback as well. And uh, so we're including here not just responses to podcast discussions, but also to the Lorehaven articles that we've posted uh, just within the first uh, first couple of weeks of January. And the first one here, uh, Zach, if you can read this one, uh, it's actually from uh, commentator LaVeya Bird. I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Uh, they were responding to an article from Anthony G. Cirilla. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, too. <laughs> Next time we'll get a pronunciation guide. Uh, he was writing an article called Wonder Woman 1984 versus Disney-fied imagination, a spoiler-filled defense. Uh, and I have not seen this movie yet, so this is, uh, but that's fine. Uh, so LaVey says, quote, I actually liked Wonder Woman 1984 and its message of be careful what you wish for and was quite shocked by so many negative reviews for the film. But reading this article definitely opened my eyes to the movie's deeper message and it made me appreciate the film and Wonder Woman all the more. There is so much truth in this article, how several of the characters reflect today's society in so many different ways. It makes me think of the lyrics to one of Toby Mac's songs, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. The more you wish for things based on lies such as popularity, envy, hate, power, fear, greed, selfishness, etc., the more you lose yourself, the you who God made you to be. Thank you so much for sharing this beautiful article. End quote. Well, thanks for writing us. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, that, uh, that response there. Uh, as we're recording this, I'm actually planning on watching Wonder Woman 1984 again. And that feels so strange because we saw it in theaters on purpose in theaters. Uh, we're living in an area where you can do that. We saw it the day after Christmas. And uh, this is a movie that does move at its own pace. Uh, and it, it had a lot of those themes in there that I think um, came off poorly to so many people, possibly due to some flawed expectations of what this movie was going to be. You got to pay attention to the trailers, folks. And if you're still confused, you know, read the interviews with the stars and kind of modify your expectations accordingly. And I think you can actually enjoy more stories that way, uh, which ought to be the goal. And I appreciate Anthony's article about that. We'll link to it in the show notes. And next, we have this comment from Sarah Daniels regarding another article from our new monthly writer, Elijah David, who's actually been uh, editing a lot of Lorehaven content for the past uh, few years. Uh, Eli and actually go back uh, further than that. And so it's great to be working with him. He is in particular 
a fan of fantasy and fairy tales and fairy tale retellings as well. He's got a few of those himself. And this article is called Why the Wild Swans Has Captivated Me Since Childhood. And in response, Sarah Daniels wrote, quote, great article. Wild Swans was always a favorite of mine, too. I think I had a lovely big storybook about the tale. Yes, Hans Christian Andersen had several tales about self-sacrificing agape love. The original Little Mermaid, for example. I always thought the ending to that was so sweet that she couldn't bear to kill her prince even to save her own life and was rewarded by becoming a spirit of the air and not seafoam. And the Snow Queen, how dear Gerda struggled through such hardships to save her friend Kai even though he didn't care about her anymore. The Disney versions were, um, different. Haha. <laughs> Can't wait to see more articles along this vein. End quote. I appreciate that comment as well, and I'm looking forward to many, many more articles just like this too. Next up is a comment from Serena Chase, and this was on your article, Stephen, how political punditry has taken over Christian popular subcultures, which, by the way, I really enjoyed this article, Stephen, and I've had some great discussions with my friends about it. But Serena writes, quote, thoughtful piece. I especially appreciated this line. Over the time span of generations, a Christian subculture dominated by politics is hopelessly limited and ultimately ineffective for forming more Christ-like people. That'll preach, as they say. We must engage with our culture to understand who lives in the world with which we want to share the gospel. But when political views become our religion and a nation or its leaders becomes a standard to wave above the cross, we become cultists and idolaters operating apart from Christ. End quote. Yeah, you said it. Great. No, great, I was great quote there. so encouraged by that because I, I started on this article, which had been brewing for like maybe a month or two, probably longer, and I could not stop. And as the editor at lorehaven.com, I am contractually obligated with the contract I've signed with myself to try to write or edit shorter articles. Uh, but this one, apparently, even though I think I blew past 2,000 words by the end, uh, it got some readership and discussion anyway. So clearly this is something that has been at the back of more people's minds than just my own. And so I'm really grateful uh, that uh, that could be part of that conversation about uh, maybe pushing back on the politics that have taken over Christian subcultures. Like, all of our, all, all of our, the radio shows that I remember, uh, the, you know, the kids fiction, the Christian bookstores, the grown up fiction uh, that I remember, even the shallow stuff, uh, going back to the nineties and early two thousands, like all of that seems to have faded. And in its place, we've gotten just politics, politics, politics all the time. I am into political debates and controversies myself, but I also view that as a great tragedy. And this article mostly observes and maybe offers some a few suggestions for pushing back on that. Uh, but even 2,000 words is just kind of a start as to, as to what Christians maybe need to do to get back that imagination that we have in our subcultures. So we'll link to that in the show notes too. Yeah, and most of the time we, we don't even really touch on these topics. And uh, we, we touch on very fantastical things, which uh, one fan appreciated. This is, uh, we got a note here from Elizabeth L., who appreciated our episode on UFOs and aliens. So, uh, Stephen, you want to read that? Yes, uh, Zach, you're, you are the, you're the captain of this particular UFO <laughs> ship. And so you know, Elizabeth's comment here, I think, should be directed to, to you especially, uh, because especially when you name check a certain orange, uh, outgoing orange president in there about you know, his views on UFOs and, oh, that it's so tempting to take a, that in a political direction. Uh, but right. 
uh, you, like the pilot of these uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon, uh, just change direction at uh, surprising rates, you know, violating the laws of physics, it would seem, and you just <laughs> swerve away. Uh, and uh, she in particular appreciated that. She says, quote, thank you for not going politically. I know it's hard to avoid completely, but yes, listening to the fantastical truth, I'm not here for your thoughts on red versus blue. Actually, Halo's red versus blue is much more entertaining. <laughs> I'm here to listen to your discussion on all things sci-fi, fantasy, and alien. As far as sympathetic aliens, I think that's why The Day the Earth Stood Still is my favorite movie. An alien that visits Earth to warn of our path of destruction and that other planets slash aliens would rather have Earth destroyed than the violence to go into those far reaches of space. His help is rejected by most, and he's eventually shot and killed. Great podcast. I've missed a few because I've had to take on a second job as my husband lost his and have just been overwhelmed lately. I saw the tweet this morning and realized I'd forgotten to listen. End quote. We're glad you did listen, Elizabeth, and I hope you guys get the job thing sorted out. I'm, I'm grateful that we have time to record episodes like these despite the pandemic. Uh, but uh, lots of folks I, I'm hoping we can also encourage uh, who are out there still struggling. Uh, that hasn't gone away with the new year. And of course, Sometimes all of our, our obsession with politics uh, just, just tends to make things worse. And maybe we need a little entertaining diversion, even yeah. if it's about aliens. Well, it, it's like that uh, meme from Hamilton, the musical, where Thomas Jefferson says, can we get back to politics, please? Like, I, I want to make a version of that that's like, can we get back to UFOs, please? <laughs> can we get back to aliens? Because, like, that's a lot more interesting. And, uh, yeah, so let's... Let's talk about that, you guys. Let's let's talk about some more fun things um, instead of just arguing over red versus blue, like she said. So thank you so much for writing in, Elizabeth. And, and thank you all to listen. Uh, we really enjoy uh, hanging out with you guys on this podcast and, and talking about some fun topics. Which includes our next episode of Fantastical Truth, partly inspired by the recent Lorehaven quarterly issue cover story. Christian fans want to build bigger audiences for fantastical stories, yet how might we help our Christian family and friends share in this happiness? How can we help transform Christian deserts into thriving lands that love excellent fantastical fiction? Here's a hint. We can't wait for the chosen ones, the chosen authors, to come along and defeat the darkness and save the land. Instead, we ourselves need to forego some fantasies like this and borrow not from fantasy, but I think from a science fiction trope. We need to commit to a multi-generational project of helping to terraform our churches, families, and Christian subcultures to enjoy these stories for the glory of God. We'll explore that in our next episode. Meanwhile, I second what Zach said, appreciating our listeners for coming along with us on these journeys. We've been all over the place in this podcast uh, on purpose. It's good just to take stock of the previous year or the previous season of episodes and articles and uh, take note of what topics rose to the top and why, and hopefully explore those all over again, uh, not just to have fun, although that, uh, that works too, but also just for the glory of Jesus. We want this discussion to exalt him. And if there's anything unbiblical you've heard, of course, give us a note at podcast at or drop a feedback note in the show notes. And keep engaging with us. Let us know what you'd like to hear about on Fantastical Truth and in the lorehaven.com upgraded site as we continue to seek and find fantastical truth. <laughs>